I can't get enough magical jewelry, as you've probably guessed, and so I'm so happy that my friends at Blessed Be Magic have just launched three new talisman cuff bracelet designs. Their bracelets are elegant, stylish, and adjustable, and they're subtly engraved with spellbinding words such as so mode it be, so grateful, and my favorite, charmed, because you know I can't resist a double meaning. All of the jewelry by Blessed Be Magic is created to take you deeper into the practice of recognizing and owning your power. And now you can enjoy 15% off any of Blessed Be Magic's jewelry by using offer code WITCH. So go to blessedbemagic.com, that's magic spelled M-A-G-I-C-K, and use offer code WITCH for 15% off today. Blessed Be. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to The Witch Wave. I'm currently engaging in my own personal spring awakening. I recently cleaned every figure and object on my altar and swapped out the dusty, waxy old altar cloth for a gorgeous new one I got last time I was in Mexico City. I cleaned our floors with a magical floor wash that I made out of water, white vinegar, and Florida water and gave the apartment a good smoke cleanse. And now that it's feeling freshened up, I've been focusing on filling our home with as much beauty as I can muster. I've been treating myself to a little bouquet of fresh flowers every week or so, and right now a giant pink peony is blossoming in a vase on our bookshelf. And I've decided to bust out my most special tea set a bit more often too. Today, I've been enjoying some Tulsi sweet rose tea in a floral, iridescent porcelain cup. This tea is allegedly stress-relieving and magical, or so it says on the box, and I'm inviting both of those energies into my life right now. The Sabbath of Beltane is happening next week on May 1st. This is a holy day that I adore because it is all about sensuality, blooming, and fertility in all its forms. We talk a lot about spirituality on this show, but one of the things that I think makes witches different from many other kinds of mystics or religious adherents is that we also value the bodied experience. Yes, we connect to other realms and are in relationship with invisible forces of various names, but we also honor the sensations and cycles of the body and the planet. 
It's such a gift to be alive, to be a spirit that gets to wear a body for a while and to experience the sumptuous physicality of the world. One of my all-time favorite books is Diane Ackerman's A Natural History of the Senses. When I first read it as a teenager in the 1990s, I was enthralled by its message. She begins the book by writing, quote, How sense luscious this world is, unquote. And then she goes on to say, quote, To begin to understand the gorgeous fever that is consciousness, we must try to understand the senses, how they evolved, how they can be extended, what their limits are, to which ones we have attached taboos, and what they can teach us about the ravishing world we have the privilege to inhabit. Unquote. Though her book is a blend of primarily scientific and artistic or cultural writing, her language is so poetic and lush that I think it's a book that pretty much any witchly person would appreciate thanks to its celebration of nature and bodies and beauty. It's a perfect Beltane book. My guest today, Mallory Lance, is another such person whose work carries the spirit of Beltane. Her many projects focus on the pleasure of food and flowers and the power of craft and collectives. As the editor-in-chief of the beauteous publication Ravenous Zine, Mallory brings together a multiplicity of witches, artists, activists, and other contributors who each make their own abundant magic. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Ruby writes, I am a practicing witch, though I can probably add more practice into my life. I am a mom now, and soon to be again. I'm having a hard time finding rituals that will really connect with my pregnancy and bring some positive energy of health and protection to the little one on the way. I would like to find a way that is more plant-based and connected with the element of water. Another fun note to add in is this year, my birthday falls on the full moon and lunar eclipse this July, and I'll be very pregnant, full moon at its best, so to say. If you have any suggestions, it would be greatly appreciated. Hi, Ruby. Congratulations on your pregnancy. That sounds like really exciting and happy news. I think it is so beautiful that you want to send some protective and positive energy to your child, and I assume to yourself as well, because that's important too. I'm not a parent myself, but I do know that there are many deities who are associated with childbirth and midwifery, so you might want to consider connecting to one of those. One of my favorite luminous ladies is Artemis who is perhaps best known as the Greek goddess of the moon and the hunt and wildness, but she's also associated with childbirth. 
As the myth goes, after she was born, she turned right around and helped her mother give birth to her twin brother, Apollo. Artemis is one of many, many, many goddesses who have this association. So I would recommend you do a bit of reading and research and see which of these deities resonates the most with you. And then you can do a simple offering to her. Maybe you buy a small figure of her to put on an altar or somewhere special in your home, and you buy her flowers or put plants that are associated with her on your altar. Maybe you burn candles or incense for her or drink a tea out of sacred plants that are special to her. Or perhaps you write her a petition asking for her assistance and guardianship. Maybe you find a necklace or a charm of her that you wear somewhere on your body. These days, you can go on Etsy and find pretty much any figure you can imagine. And you're supporting an artist or a small business as well if you get your jewelry or sculpture there. You mention a connection with the full moon and one is falling on your birthday. So I also recommend that you design a beautiful ritual for yourself on that day. So much about motherhood, as you know, is about giving and having unconditional love. But in order to be able to do that in a sustainable way, mothers need to recharge their own batteries and take care of themselves, too. Now, I know you said you love water, and I also know that there are all kinds of different theories and regulations from doctors about when pregnant people can take baths and when they shouldn't. So if you're not able to take a beautiful bath on your birthday, is there maybe a body of water you can be near? A lake, a river, a pond, the ocean? If so, spending some time there on the full moon sounds pretty ideal to me. You can talk to the moon and give her thanks for watching over you for all of these months of your life. Then, if you aren't able to submerge yourself entirely, you can at least take some of that moonlit water that you're near and anoint yourself with it on whichever parts of your body you want to bless. This moon water will help you purify and protect you and fortify you with love and light as you move into the next stage of your life. And that can only be good for your little one who's already here and your little one who's on the way. I'm wishing you and your entire family health, strength, and love as you grow together and as individuals. Blessed be. Now, on to my guest. Mallory Lance is the editor-in-chief of Ravenous Zine, which aims to help people foster more wildness and witchy wonder in their lives. She is the founder and creative director of Ravenous Media, through which she also produces events about crafting and conscious collaboration. And she's begun work on a documentary series about women who cook with fire. Mallory is also a chef, food stylist, and creator of Magical Feasts, and her various projects have been featured in Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Refinery29, and many, many more places. On this episode, Mallory and I discuss the feral feminine, 
sensual vitality and the ways in which covens can teach us how to be more mindful and interconnected global citizens. Mallory joined me here in the flesh at my Brooklyn apartment. Mallory Lance, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. You are one of my absolute favorite human beings, so it's a real treat to get to have you here in person as well. Likewise, Pam. Yay. So you do so many things. You wear a lot of different pointy hats. (laughs) You're the editor-in-chief of Ravenous Zine. You're a chef, a food stylist, a curator of magical feasts, and lots of other things that we're going to touch on. But to me, the connective tissue between a lot of your different projects really seems to be about amplifying sensuality and the bodied experience. How do you describe your work and how do you describe what your intention is in all your different projects? Well, I think maybe it's by virtue of being a Taurus, but I definitely feel very strongly connected with the sensuous elements of the earth and the wild and connecting with others in a very tactile, sensual way. Um, One of the things that really led me to building Ravenous was connecting with my own group. We would have these in-person gatherings and make a different craft and dinner and share in that connection. And I felt like Connecting in that way has really been helpful, especially as everything turns more and more centered around social media and our phones and our computers at work. So it's really helped me reawaken the human part of myself. And I hope to share that with others. I love that. Now, when you say you were meeting with a group, was this a coven? Was this a group of friends? What what was kind of the shape of these meetings? I think it was 2013. It started as a series of dinner parties that we would have every month on the full moon. I invited some of my favorite heavy metal friends and we would listen to metal and happen to all be wearing black and kind of joke about being witches around a cauldron. And that was really before I got more deeply involved in my practice where now I would say I absolutely practice in a coven, but at the time it felt just like a fun way of connecting with fellow women who could exist outside the bounds of what it always looked like to be a woman in my view before that. First of all, I love the phrase fellow women. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) But in terms of what you guys were actually doing, so you were, were you cooking together? Were you I know you were listening to metal. What else What else did those meetings look like? Yeah, so the idea was actually that each month we would decide on a different craft that we could all make together. So that was really what the gathering centered around. So that would span anywhere from making macrame plant hangers to making seed art, which is basically gluing different types of seeds onto different surfaces in the shapes of 
pets and wolves and things like that. Oh, but. amazing. I'm actually very familiar with Cedar okay. because we go to the Minnesota State Fair yes, every that's year. Where I saw it. It's the best. It's the best. And for those listeners who might not be familiar, I mean, this is a competitive art at the state fairs and people will sometimes do portraits of their kids or in Minnesota there's often like pictures of prints made out of purple seeds and like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's really, really awesome. So I love that you guys were doing that. I heard that at the Minnesota State Fair, all of the seed art has to come from seeds that were grown in Minnesota, I Mm -hmm. believe. That makes sense. So I really love seed art. (laughs) (laughs) More seed art in the world, please. You've heard it here. Um, So what gave you the idea to even start these gatherings? Because I know a lot of people are really craving that kind of connection. And one of the most common questions I get is like, how do I start? How do I start a coven? Or how do I find my tribe? How did you do it? Yeah, that's a really good question. So growing up from the time I was in middle school, I remember seeing other women as competition, being very afraid of other girls, being afraid of other packs of girls. And I mean, growing up as like a half Middle Eastern girl, I got made fun of for having a mustache and they would call me a werewolf and things like that, which Mm. now kind of sounds cool. But (laughs) so I always had a lot of anxiety around groups of girls and women. And actually, from the time I was in ninth grade, I had a very, very and still have a very, very best friend. And we were sort of attached at the hip and we were very counterculture and we loved riot girl bands and the distillers and we're all about that wild fucking crazy energy and wolf pack wild earthy femininity was always way more interesting to me than the femininity that was conditioned to us as makeup and shopping and mm-hmm. how women were supposed to behave so Erin mm-hmm. my best friend shout out to Erin shout out to best friends man <laughs> I had one of those too and I don't think I would have survived without her yeah in high school so, and she's school. actually also an amazing witch and she makes this amazing jewelry line called Cult Sisters. She made my very favorite bull ring and she was in volume two of Ravenous as well. So yeah, which we'll get to for sure. Where did you and Aaron grow up? Oh, Aaron and I grew up in New York City. Right on. Which I feel like is increasingly rarer that I'm finding native New Yorkers. So we really did everything together. And then fast forward to our early to mid 20s. We were seeing each other a little bit less frequently because we had work and all these other things. And I remember going to a dinner party that was supposed to be all women and girls. And it just felt like everyone was very performative and that none of us were really digging past the surface of what we should be talking about. So this first gathering kind of came together where I invited Aaron and some of my other most favorite friends that I had one-on-one relationships with and We had such a great time and we listened to the band Coven and we definitely made a thing of it, you know? Mm -hmm. What was your first activity? Oh, (laughs) our first activity was making candles. Nice. Except I hadn't really recipe tested this in advance, but I had this idea that if we put all of these dried herbs and flowers and whatever we wanted into them and embedded them in the wax they would burn and have a nice smell but it turned out since i was not a skilled candle maker that once we burned them certain 
flowers and elements that we put in had more volatile oils and they would explode and burn and like the glass broke and (laughs) it wasn't such a safe activity, but it was definitely fun to get started. That's awesome. So you were doing this crafting. I know that a lot of your work now revolves around food in your magazine Ravenous. You have a lot of recipes by day. You're also a food stylist. You do these beautiful feasts. What is it about food specifically that you are hoping to either redefine or reframe in light of this idea of ravenousness and wildness and women? For me, food has always been a point of connection with my family and with passing down history and with self-sufficiency. And growing up, my mother worked constantly. So my brother and sister and I had to figure out how to feed ourselves and make delicious food. And so food very quickly for me became synonymous with how I show my love. I also realized that a lot of my friends and peers didn't know how to cook. And I felt like it is so important for people to learn even the basics of cooking and sharing that most basic point of connection. When it comes to food and global food history, that's all been really fascinating to me. When I was in college, I was in this group called the Eco Reps, and we would go to lots of food sovereignty lectures and learn about the way that food intersects with human rights and environmental rights and touches upon so many aspects to activism that really all of us can understand our connection with food in some way. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the craft aspect, because I think that in the current incarnation of the world that we are in right now, in the U.S. specifically, we consume a lot more than we make. And so I felt like it was really important for us to have a point of connection with what it actually takes to make things instead of shop for things and collect things and buy things. I think the more we have a close connection with the work and sourcing that it takes to actually create something, it helps us understand the true value that goes into something. Absolutely. But everything you do, even though it does have a political angle to it, it's also so lush and beautiful and sensual. I'm going to go back to that word. And I want to kind of circle around to the language that you use. So you've named your magazine Ravenous Zine. And we should say this is a magazine where you feature interviews, recipes, photo essays, and articles that really circulate around this concept of crafting and of reclaiming feminine wildness. Why did you land on that word ravenous? Ravenous to me has always meant hunger beyond just the physical hunger for food. It's about a hunger to see and do and feel and taste and experience and live beyond these little boxes of lives that were sold. And I think that peeling back the layers, understanding what exists beyond going to work and coming home and our daily duties just to survive. I think the more I've learned about ancient history and the ways that humans from 70,000 years ago to now have gotten to where we are, I realize more and more that a lot of us have lost touch with this deep connection to the earth. And that's what 
is really attractive to me about what we call witchcraft and understanding our place within the ecosystem, paying homage to the elements and how they connect with us and planetary bodies and how we're all really interconnected. So again, Ravenous came from that hunger to seek beyond our daily lives and go back into this ancient sense of existing with more connection to the earth and other people. And your tagline for the magazine is for the wild woman. So everything that you're talking about, I can't help but look at it through the lens of the feminine experience. And we should say we're using that word feminine to be very expansive and inclusive of all different expressions of gender and femininity. But why is feminine wildness so important to you, especially in light of this hunger, this ravenousness? Because I think that we often see representation of men being seeking and hungry and hunting, but we really don't see a lot of that in mainstream culture when seen through the femme perspective. And I absolutely agree. Even when I look at my subtitle for The Wild Woman, I hope that it really comes across to all people who want to connect with the wild feminine in any incarnation. I think we all have a wild feminine in us no matter what our gender experience is. And I think that having a deeper connection with this sense of the wild feminine is something that is really missing from mainstream culture and we all really could connect more with. Mm -hmm. I was really appreciative of how much your language um, talks about female hunger and appetite and desire. Because to me, that's all very witchly in that there is a lot of shame tied up in women who desire things and women who are craving to not just meet their body's needs, but their body's wants. And so I wondered if there's also any element of trying to decouple appetite from shame, particularly for women or for witches, when you're choosing how to curate or otherwise write within Ravenousine. Yeah, I love that. I think that when I look back to being a middle school age girl and coming of age, I think that abstinence was very strongly something that I learned as something that I needed to have in order to fit into this world, meaning abstinence from eating too much, abstinence from having sexual desire, abstinence from acting on my wild impulses. And to a certain extent, I really wanted to be good. I wanted to be a good kid. So I felt like the more I took on service to others and abstinence for myself, the better person I would be. But it wasn't until my early 20s where I had this big sort of sea change where I realized I needed to embrace this hunger. I needed to embrace this wildness. It was so deeply a part of me. And the more that I ignored it, the more damage was brought upon me. So I think that there's such an intense earthly beauty in connecting to that hunger and connecting to that wildness and connecting to sexual appetite and to physical appetite and having a little bit of beautiful decadence in our lives that goes beyond just 
having an expensive dinner here or there, but it really can bleed into the way that we are decadent in our relationships and being giving and receiving and continuing that flow of energy as opposed to abstaining from taking from others, but giving to others because it's really uneven and there's no way to live. I love that. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and more beautiful decadence with Mallory Lance when we get back. I want to tell you about Hag Swag, a monthly subscription box geared towards weirdos, witches, hags, and other alternative folk. Once subscribed to Hagswag, you will receive a variety of curated items right to your door, including occult and pagan-inspired products, burnables like incense or cleansing bundles, crystals, accessories, self-care items, and more. Each month's theme has information and magical objects that are useful for both new and experienced witchy individuals and flow with the wheel of the year. Some Hagswag box themes have included ritual, divination, origins, and astral magic, helping practitioners expand their existing knowledge and build their collection of tools and offerings. Containing only cruelty-free, vegan, and gender-neutral items, Hagswag boxes are suitable for hags of all walks of life. And if you use code WITCHWAVE on their website, www.hagswag.ca, you'll get 5% off your first box. So go to hagswag.ca and use code WITCHWAVE for 5% off your first Hagswag box today. Welcome back to the WITCHWAVE. Today I'm speaking with Mallory Lance. So Mallory, we were talking about this idea of infusing our lives with more feminine wildness, which is again, kind of the thesis statement of Ravenous Zine and a lot of the other projects that you work on. I love how each of the issues, and and you've had two so far, I know a third is coming out, they revolve around a theme. Your first issue was around the concept of craft, which I think we've been talking about quite a bit, but I don't know if you wanted to add anything else about that before we talk about the second theme. What do you think? Yeah. So the first theme being about craft is really about connecting with our hands again, with the tactile nature of making things with our hands, connecting with one another and creating from a place of inspiration. And obviously, I love the word craft because it has all that double meaning between, you know, making things and also the idea of the craft and witchcraft. So it's it's really, really powerful. Um, your second issue revolved around the theme of sisterhood. I was fortunate enough to get invited to write about something for you about my experience um, being a solitary practitioner and then ultimately embracing this idea of covens and gatherings. I know as I've gotten older, that's become much more of a priority for me. And I wondered what made you decide to focus on that concept of sisterhood for issue two. So going back to the idea of a group of women to me or a group of girls earlier in my life was always a point of anxiety for me. And it didn't really start to switch or shift until my mid-20s when I started engaging in real, deep, meaningful 
gatherings with women. And since then, I've been lucky enough to be part of a few different women's groups. And I love the earnest truth and rawness that comes out of these exchanges. There's almost nothing like having a group that you can talk to about your deepest fears or your hangups that you wouldn't share on social media or you wouldn't share with just anyone. And you realize more and more that a lot of us are going through the same struggles. And the more you can connect in an earnest way with others and hear them and listen to them and be there to hold space for them, and then in turn have that space held for you, it really helps you get past obstacles and help you realize what you need to live your best life. The experience of having these different groups for me made it very clear that I think the next step in my series of Volumes for Ravenous was really celebrating the sisterhood of of this deep, meaningful connection. And in that volume, um, in addition to Pam's amazing piece, there are also pieces about creating settings for your gathering beautiful recipes for a dinner gathering. Stacy Ivory, who is also in our coven, wrote an amazing piece about how to hold space when doing women's work and how to create a space where women can share truthfully and honestly. I really loved Stacy's piece in particular, not only because I just adore her, but she really maps out how to hold a circle. And again, I get asked these questions all the time, like, okay, first, how do you find the people? But then once you have them, what do you do with them? Mm-hmm. Or what do we do together once we're all in a room or outside? And Stacy's piece really says, here are some ground rules and guidelines. Here are some activities and rituals and spells that you can do. I mean, it's a really nice kind of coven 101, if you will. So I highly recommend anyone who's listening, seek out, you know, obviously all of the work that you do at Ravenous Zine. But in the sisterhood issue, Stacey Ivory's piece is really, really a shining example of great, great writing and really great direction, I think, for covens. Yes, absolutely. And each of these volumes is meant to bring readers something tangible that they can walk away from it with that they can then put into practice. And again, I don't, I really don't want this to feel too specific to women. I think that everyone who has a proclivity to embracing and understanding their feminine side and meaning the wild feminine, I don't mean feminine in the way that it's presented to us in the mainstream, but anyone who's, who's interested in, in exploring that nurturing, creating, place of fecundity can really benefit from the words that are in these volumes. Absolutely. Something else that shows up a lot through Ravenous Zine is this idea of health and vitality. There's another article, and forgive me, I'm forgetting the name of the person who wrote it, but she really talks about the trendification of quote-unquote wellness. And I wondered First of all, can you remind me who wrote that article? And second of all, what your thoughts are around, I mean, we don't have to name names, but we all know some of the luxury lifestyle blogs and brands and websites who, you know, under the umbrella of wellness 
are selling extremely expensive things. And in my opinion, even though I think there is some good to be found there, there is this vibe of exclusion or exclusivity, which I know you are trying to combat with Ravenous Zine. Absolutely. So Yes, the name of the writer for that piece, Health is Not a Trend, is Rochelle Robinette. She comes from a background in working in the wellness sphere, and she has seen oftentimes firsthand that a lot of people sort of in the fashion industry kind of pivoted into the wellness industry now that it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that it has been really important to me with Ravenous to explore this idea of wellness and what does wellness really mean? Does wellness really mean buying a serum where the people who were extracting this element from the earth were not treated well and the environment was not treated well? Or does it really mean forging this point of connection, creating your own community and understanding what Yes, what we can get from the earth and from plants, but what we can give back to the earth and plants. It's very important to recognize the difference between wellness as a whole of ourselves, our communities, our minds, bodies, spirits, and the earth. And then this idea of co-opting wellness and making it more of a commodity that's bought and sold. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to recognize even when it comes to our own health and mental health, it's very easy for us to feel alone. And it might feel easy to think that the remedy is to buy something or have a procedure done. And maybe there's like a quick fix, but really the answer in my experience has been to forge this community and to truly understand what we can do for each other and the earth. And there's nothing that feels better than being connected and well and truly have this full spectrum vitality of the mind, the body, the spirit, and really understand how we're connected in that world. That's so awesome. And it actually makes me think of a couple things. Um, First of all, just the idea that a lot of people who are or were considered witches were often people who like had home remedies or were doing garden magic or weeding or foraging in the woods. And this is so much about what natural healing is about and what natural vitality is about. It's not necessarily about spending, you know, $250 on a serum when you can go into the woods and you can forage and, you know, make an infusion out of certain, you know, weeds and herbs and plants that are accessible to everybody. And the second point is, A lot of social science is now proving that the number one predictor of somebody's longevity and well-being is social connection. You know, how many people you have in your life, how many relationships you have that are strong and vital and that feel connected. This idea of the solitary person or the solitary witch, I think, is kind of a romantic one. And yet... Witches are also associated with covens. And I think the coven is a really great metaphor or symbol for the ways in which human connection in person, especially, can be truly magical, transformative, and uplifting. 
Absolutely. Yes. So I'm really glad you brought up that point about weeds, because actually this is something I have been working a lot with this amazing woman and writer and teacher named Vanessa Chakor. And we are actually going to be starting another project soon. I'll talk about a little bit later, but she talks in her work a lot about the misnomer of the term weed. Like what really is a weed? A weed is a resilient plant that will pop up and grow anywhere and is strong and doesn't need tending. And since the agricultural revolution, humans have been working more and more with plants that respond well to being farmed. But at the same time, there's so much immense power in a lot of plants that we consider weeds that have incredible medicinal properties and are edible and have so much to offer us beyond just being like this pest. I mean, we see their entire industries are about getting rid of these weeds and chemicals that we spray to get rid of these weeds. But if we really truly understand these misunderstood plants and we learn from them, they have so much to offer us. The same thing goes for basic household remedies. And I mean, ginger, you can probably buy a knob of it for 84 cents. And meanwhile, the benefits that you can get from it once you connect with it, once you learn from it, are immense. I think this is something that I'm really interested in moving forward with too in the future of Ravenous is having more workshops and sharing that knowledge because the answer is really not buying quote unquote superfoods that are harvested in really ethically ambiguous or ethically disastrous ways. It's really about seeing what's in our immediate ecosystem that we can help the earth by harvesting and the earth can help us by nourishing. And it's kind of about creating that reciprocal relationship that I don't think I've mentioned this today yet, but I love this book, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I'm sure many of you have read it, but this is another instance of this reciprocity that Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about a lot. Absolutely. Speaking of weeds, you are someone that I, I also associate with flowers and fruits and all of this beautiful, to use your word, fecundity, both in your food styling, certainly throughout Ravenous. The images that you have in the magazine are so lush, but they're not hyper-polished. They're earthy and dark and moody and these jewel tones. I mean, the magazine is a sensual experience just to behold. And it makes me think of the holiday that is coming up next week, which is Beltane. This is on or around May 1st. And I know that that holy day is very special to you in particular. Can you talk a little bit about why you love Beltane so much? Yes. So thank you for saying all that. I was just beaming as Pam described the visual nature of Ravenous. And I think it's really because I love the woods and this really beautiful lushness of nature that I think we all get so much joy out of seeing. And I, for one, I grew up in cities. I lived in LA when I was a kid. I moved to New York when I was very young. And I've been living in New York City for now over 20 years. <laughs> so it's been really important for me to embrace and carve out every little bit of visits to nature that I can. And 
I really love showing the lushness of the earth so that we can all remember we are here to shepherd the earth and care for the earth and continue to learn from the earth and value her. On the Instagram for Ravenous, if you follow it, you'll see there are often these really picturesque images of greens and nature and growth. And I think that the reason why I want to continue sharing those images is that hopefully it can be like a little nice break from a feed and and just like a little breath of fresh air um, and hopefully a reminder to get out into nature. On the theme of Beltane, actually May 1st is my birthday. (gasps) Happy almost (laughs) birthday, Mallory. What Um, a beautiful and perfect birthday for you. My goodness. But I was just thinking about this when Pam, when, when you had talked about hosting me on the show and I was thinking about the importance of May 1st as Beltane, as a beautiful holiday celebrating the growth of the flowers and the bloom and the reawakening from the winter slumber and getting out in the world again. It also has the Taurus season energy, which is the Taurian sensuality and earthiness and steadfastness and working toward goals that I associate with the the transition from winter into summer. It also is International Workers' Rights Day, and there's so much that goes into Ravenous that straddles both this earthy sensuality and beauty and the constant struggles that we have to continue to work toward creating economic equality and celebrating the work that humans do around the world and hopefully connect that more within the ecosystems and have more of a veneration for animals and plants and nature and fungi. And I really would love to see a world where they're all connected, where supporting workers is also supporting the earth. And often these issues seem to be pitted against each other. It's like you care about jobs, so you want coal mining to come back, or you care about the environment, but you don't give a You know, you can curse. It's okay. (laughs) But really, once we take a step back and once we take a deep breath and we understand the bigger picture, we realize workers' rights and environmental rights are all connected. The more we support the earth and communities, we can continue to have well communities and well workers and people who are not exploited. But the thing that I love about your, I'm going to call it aesthetic, your point of view, your approach to this material is that even though it's infused with politics and activism, you still have that joy and that beauty. And I think in this day and age, look, it is tough right now. I mean, we have a lot of huge obstacles and a lot of toxicity, spiritual toxicity, political toxicity, physical and environmental toxicity that we have to battle right now. I just think that we're going to all get burnt out if we can't figure out ways to combat this 
in the spirit of fun and joy and pleasure and sensuality and beauty and magic, you know? And so that's really what I admire about what you do, Mallory, because frankly, when I hear people talk about workers' rights and all the problems we have to fix, like, I agree, but I get overwhelmed and I get tired and I feel drained. And yet when you talk about it and when you frame it in this world of like luscious beauty and Beltane magnificence, I suddenly feel inspired and motivated like my battery's been recharged, you know? And I think that's a real gift that you have and one that we are in desperate need of right now. Thank you so much, Pam. And that's a really great segue into talking about volume three of Ravenous, which is... Which we're going to do after the break. (laughs) We'll be right back. Longtime listeners to the podcast know that I am obsessed with Mithras candles. They are the most beautiful beeswax candles I have ever seen, and they're handcrafted in Philadelphia. Mithras candles smell intoxicating, and they look even better with their wizardly dripped pillars. They also come in a variety of other shapes, from pyramids to tapers to tea lights, and they give off a warm and gentle glow. I have tons of Mithras candles, and I can't get enough. And now you can get some too by going to MithrasCandle.com and using offer code WITCH for 10% off your first order of 2019. So go to Mithras Candle, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use code WITCH for 10% off your first order of the year. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Mallory Lance. So Mallory, before I so rudely cut you off, (laughs) you were about to talk about the theme of volume three of Ravenous Zine. And what will that be? Yes. So volume three is the activism volume. Again, and I absolutely agree with you, Pam. I think that since the 2016 election, a lot of us have felt this very heavy weight on us. And It's been really pervasive in many elements of our lives, definitely myself included. And before I could take any action, I really had to go through a lot of personal sadness and purging. And although I really wanted to be a great activist and out there in the streets and making change, I felt extremely depleted. And I've seen more of an opening and awareness and interest in activism since the election. But I've also seen this endless treadmill of burnout. And what was really important to me to explore in volume three was how can we work toward creating more positive change and social change while also making sure to take care of ourselves and our communities and bring life into ourselves and our communities. One of the things that Tamara Santabanias, who's in volume three and also was on the show, talks about is one of the most effective tools of the oppressor is to make us feel like our actions don't mean anything. And the more we feel burnt out and the more we feel like our actions are just a pittance against this huge Goliath, the more we feel disheartened, 
and it works because they win. So this is really all about the beauty that comes with creating and forging our own commons. And actually, it's very much inspired by Silvia Federici and her new book, Reenchanting the World. And it's all about how change is not going to come from electing a new leader. Some things will change, yes, but meaningful, lasting change will come from grassroots growth, gathering in communities, looking out for each other, really flipping the paradigm of capitalism that's all about every man for himself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. When I was going through my darkest days, I really felt like I was everything wrong in the world and that if I could only do better, then everything could get better. Mm. But that's a damaging way of thinking. And the more we realize that we need to be together, we're all connected, we need to work together, the more we'll feel nourished and the more life we have in our movement. So volume three is an amazing array of amazing authors and artists and photographers who are showing us that there's so much beauty and engagement and community building, and it doesn't have to look like an endless treadmill of burnout. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought up Silvia Federici. Some listeners might be most familiar with her via the book Caliban and the Witch, which is essentially her treatise on how it's such a wonderful, dense book. So I'm going to do my best at summing it up. But but my takeaway from it was that women were becoming a commodity and were becoming this source of labor, thanks to capitalism, due almost entirely to the fact that they were like baby makers. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost like the mechanization of reproduction, if you will, and that burgeoning capitalism was kind of the the reason for the witch hunt in the first place. Mm -hmm. It was a way to devalue women and anybody who was an aberration outside this kind of usefulness, quote unquote, of being able to like be a mother. Caretaker and, yep. and contribute this quote unquote unpaid labor because I'm not going to get too far into this, but economic theory is very exciting to me. <laughs> I'm probably the only person one of the things that's really interesting in understanding of the mechanism of capitalism is that the only way you can have an excess of capital is by exploiting the earth and workers. Historically, this concept of unpaid labor, so the caretaking, the cleaning, mm -hmm. all the stuff that doesn't get a wage that exists outside of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And that can be continued and perpetuated by having separate roles that women have to take care of and they do not get paid for their work. That said, back into witchcraft and understanding our connection with the earth and with one another and with the elements, because it's all about this almost like a closed circle of like the energy cycle of reciprocity. There is no extra capital accumulation. The extra only comes from not giving someone their fair share, taking too much and hoarding it. Mm -hmm. And what I'm interested in getting back towards is this balance of reciprocity. What you put out in the world comes back. And deepening my connection with witchcraft and my practice has really helped me understand this true balance of energy and understanding what goes out, what comes in, and maintaining this beautiful ecosystem. So speaking of energy, you have another project that you're working on. I do not know how you have the time for all of this, but it is more in the realm of 
film, television. It's a project called Firestarters. And I would love for you to give us like the tiniest little flame, if you will, of that project. Yes. So the very, very short tagline is women around the world cooking with fire. And it's really about exploring different places in the world and the importance and central force of women and communities as the hearth keepers, as the fire starters, as the gatherers of community and understanding our ancestral connections to fire and cooking with fire. And that's just a little teaser for what it is, but I hope that you can follow along and hear more as it develops. And is it going to be a docu-series or a documentary? Do you know the format yet? Because yes. I saw the mood reel online. It is stunning. But yeah, what's the format you think it's going to turn into? Yeah, so two really great partners and I have developed a mood reel and a pitch deck. It's still in its very early stages, but the idea is that it will be a docu-series where each episode will take us on a different journey in a different location where we learn about food history and the role of women and cooking over fire. And we really hope to bring more voices of women and women of color and women of different gender expressions into the forefront because we've found that oftentimes in food programming, it is still very chef-centric and very male-centric, and we're looking to expand that more. That's so awesome. And that gets us back to Beltane, too, because the bonfire in Beltane is such an important signifier, you know, this fire that is supposed to purify and is also supposed to symbolize sex and desire and sensuality and appetite and all the things that we were talking about earlier in the show, too. It's so powerful. And I think fire is also an element that is often associated with masculinity. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you are showing the feminine face of fire, mm -hmm. <laughs> I yep. think is really, really exciting. I can't wait to see it. Yes. So Mallory, we just have a couple more moments left. Is there anything else that you're working on that you would like our Witch Wave listeners to know about? Yeah, actually. So forthcoming, I'm going to begin a talk series with Vanessa Chakor, who I mentioned earlier of Sacred Warrior, called Rewilding as Resistance. So if you are interested in some of the themes that we discussed today about how witchcraft and activism can be merged and rewilding as a source of environmental justice, definitely tune in. I'm going to have all of the talks and locations and times listed on my website. Fabulous. And will those talks be in New York City or are you thinking of branching out? Yes. So for now, the talks will be in New York City, but we are hoping to record them and make them more accessible. How fabulous. How fabulous. And when does Ravenous 3 come out? So volume three of Ravenous comes out in mid-May, but it is officially open for pre-order, which is really exciting. Thank you all so much to my followers already for being so patient with this one. It took some more time to get together than usual, but it's going to be so fantastic. I really recommend pre-ordering it because since it's self-published, I really print in limited quantities. And the best way to make sure that you get your hands on a copy of volume three is to pre-order it. And the other exciting news is that I will also have uh, back order copies of volume one and volume two available 
available as of now. So as of the time that this airs, you will be able to go to www.ravenous-media.com, pre-order volume three, and you can also order volume one and two. That's awesome, because I believe those two volumes have been sold out for a while. So this is really, really exciting that you are resurrecting them. Mallory, final question. If people want to know more about you, what's the best place that they can find you online? So the best way that they can follow Ravenous is, again, to go to ravenous-media.com. That's also where I'm going to be posting all the events associated with Ravenous, including the Rewilding as Resistance Talks. You can find more about Firestarters on my personal website, which is Mallory-Lance, L-A-N-C-E dot com. You're loving them hyphens. I know. (laughs) And then probably the best way if you're a visual person like me is to follow on Instagram at at Ravenous Zine, all one word. And I would love to have you join the stories of Ravenous. (laughs) To join the Ravenous Coven. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Mallory, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. Every time I get to talk to you, I feel inspired and I feel really motivated too. So thank you so much for sharing your gift of beauty and bounty with us. Thank you so much, Pam. And I just want to say because I don't know if you'll play it yourself, but I'm really excited for your book. You are wonderful. I promise (laughs) these guys will know all about the book, but you are so, so lovely. But getting back to you, everybody, please do read all three issues of Ravenous Zine. They are magical. And Mallory, so are you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pam. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Mallory Lance for sharing her wonderful wildness with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witchwave is produced and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs. Thank you, Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a big difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And check out my Witch Emoji for iPhone by going to WitchEmoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider pre-ordering my book, Waking the Witch, which is out on June 4th of this year. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.